With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic. Joined as always by our editor at large and awards editor, Ann Thompson. And it is award season, basically, and we're about to head into Telluride. This is our last kind of opportunity to talk about other stuff. But really, we've been in award season for a while, and there are already some updates for us to get into. So I feel like we should get that out of the way up front, starting with foreign language submissions. There's going to be a whole lot of these by the end of the year, literally dozens of them submitted from all over the world because every country gets to submit one movie for consideration. And what do we have now? Six, seven that are, the, the list is growing. Yeah, well, as expected, you know, sort of top front and center, we have Sweden. So they picked, of course, the Palme d'Or winner, The Square from Ruben Ostlund. And this will be his third chance to get <laughs> for the win. <laughs> I wish he, he had, I mean, he wasn't even nominated for Force Majeure. That was such a It was shortlisted. Success. And there's, I found when I was doing this, there was this, you, you can look this up on YouTube. There's this sort of fabulous video of oh, Ruben Ostlund and this yeah. friend reacting to, It wasn't you know, real, I heard. It wasn't real. It, that it, was kind of the genius of it. I mean, maybe it was, and he just said it wasn't, but... Oh, my God. The two of them, it goes on forever. The two of them are waiting. You can hear Cheryl Boone Isaacs reading the announcements, and the camera is on them. And then when he doesn't get it, he goes off to the side and starts screaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that was... I believed it. But it's it. a great idea. I have it's to a great say, idea. I believed it completely. Well, I mean, you, you believe that, that Did you many... Did you see it? You well, should dude, look at it. Look I have, at I have, it. It's hilarious. Because the thing is, whether or not that was real or he replayed a recording of it to, to kind of stage that reaction, obviously a lot of people invest so much time in this. And as the list of possibilities gets smaller, you start to assume certain things are a lock. I mean, this was that was such a great movie, and it, it had been such a you know strong word of mouth kind of a thing for such a long period. So it was like, of course, this movie is going to be a foreign language nominee, and maybe it could even win. So it was interesting that it got shut out. The square. I don't think that's it's it's on the same level. It's certainly a bigger scope. Actually, the square um, is more entertaining. That's the thing. I would suggest to you that it basically uh, was it, more, it is, is it is more a, possible that it will play very well as an like, entertaining movie for the for the Academy as, well, as yeah, opposed it, to Force it, Majeure, which was clearly to the committee would have had to put it in, and for whatever yeah. reason, they didn't. I, I'm I'm more impressed by the kind of clarity of vision to force majeure, but but I, I hear what you're saying, which is the square is kind of like curb your enthusiasm in the high art world or something like that. I mean, right, got- and also he did, by the way. We we were afraid that if he um, that because he won the Palm Door, he wouldn't make any edit changes. You know, he would feel like he was validated. He actually did go in and edit the movie. He saw the reviews. You know, yeah, but uh, but what I've I've heard it's it's not so radically different. I mean, it's still 
you know, the movie that we saw at Cannes is not, it's not, it doesn't mandate that we it need to see it. It needed a little trimming. It needed a little editing there just is, to I make mean, it there, better. And there is this great sequence. I'm not, I wasn't a, a big fan of the movie overall, but there's some amazing scenes and great characters. And there yeah, is an I liked amazing, it more than you. There is an amazing sequence towards the end involving a guy acting like a gorilla that is like one for the ages. It so. sure is. Yeah, I'm Terry Nataro, who's, who's famous from all the... Uh, Planet of the Apes movies. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty he's, man. He's, I, he's I, an expert know. at playing. At playing. Uh, he's, he's a, he knows his monkey. Let's put it that exactly, way. Exactly. Exactly. So here, the know. other one is from Germany, which is Fata Akins in the Fade, which played very much at the end of the festival. So I think we both missed it. Am I right? We did. Yeah, but we talked about this recently. How you know Magnolia j just kind of announced that they picked this movie up a couple weeks ago, and it was a it was a surprise. It can when it played late and everybody was talking about how Nicole Kidman's got to get the Best Actress Prize, and then instead Diane Kruger got it. And clearly they're going to try to see if they can introduce that element into the equation in addition to the foreign language momentum. So there's a couple of things going on with that one. So we're still waiting for a lot of other decisions to be made from countries like France and, and so forth. But the ones that have submitted are actually... Um, more, you know, Turkey, Switzerland, uh, Dominican Republic, um, places like like that, and some of the other countries have shortlists, and um, you know, we're waiting to to hear which one they pick. We have to wait for Israel to stage the Ophir Awards because the winner will be uh, their submission, which I think is a great way to do it. Um, but we don't know if, if they're going to pick, you know, Faces Places or 120 beats per minute from France. And, uh, you know, we're waiting on some others. Russia. And Is Russia going to go with Loveless or, or Tesnoda? We don't know. Right. That, that, that whole thing with, this, you know, that filmmaker when he made Leviathan had to go through so many ups and downs to deal with the government there it's until they, you know, basically submitted it because it was so popular. They had to, or they would have lost yeah. him. He would have like left the country, and he's their top auteur at this right. point. But they right. all, but this movie is also very critical of Russian culture, and it was made completely independent of of the Russian system. So that's another and reason. It feels like it, yeah. Why they might, you know, look look, you know, it's look askance at it. I'm very very. That's one where I'm like, are they or aren't they? You know, what what do they want more to lose? <laughs> the uh, Oscar or, or to submit a movie that's critical of Russia. I don't know. So inevitably there will be also conversations about, you know, does this movie qualify? Is there too much English language in, in some movie or what another? You, I mean, they, what are you talking about? Well, the square, apparently they've, they've counted it and it, there is English in it, but it's mostly Swedish still. They did the math, yeah, right? Yeah. I remember when you mentioned Israel, I was remembering how there was that whole situation with the band's visit years ago where, uh, you know, there was a lot of English in that movie because people in the movie spoke two other languages and English was the common one through which they could communicate. So it was a unique situation to a different culture, and yet it could not qualify, even though it was a you know really a strong Israeli film. Well, so. the other one that won't qualify, unfortunately, even though it's a foreign language movie from America, is Minash. Um, Minash. Uh, yeah. the, the actual rules of the Academy, while they permit other countries to submit something that's foreign language, even if it isn't the official language of the country, in America, you cannot have an American submission for foreign language, and that's just the way it is. That's what the rules are. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's another one where it's really kind of unfortunate because it's this 
insular view of a culture that is completely foreign to most Americans. It may as well be another country, even if it's set, set in Brooklyn. Hasidic so. Jews in yeah. Brooklyn, yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, I, I would love to see Minot. I mean, Minot has done pretty well considering what it is. Absolutely. Um, They've done amazingly with it. And yeah. I think it's because it's so, it's what you say. The reason that movie is popping is because it's so different from everything else. It isn't, doesn't yeah. resemble anything else. Yeah, it's, it, well, it's, it's got an accessible emotional element to it and the familiar father-son kind of trope, but it's doing it in a way that you haven't seen it before. So that, that's, been, that's been great to see, and I'm sure if it doesn't get a lot of award season play, at least maybe the Gotham Spirits level might uh, recognize the movie on, in, in some fashion. Now, so the other, the other, yeah, you were going to oh, go ahead. We're on the same wavelength yes. here going into documentaries. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At a certain point, you start having the same conversations over and over again. But it hasn't gotten too bad yet. But We're New not York married. Film Festival. We're not married. <laughs> it's Oscars. Uh, New York Film Festival announced its documentary lineup, and that gives us a sense of some of the other documentaries that are coming into the scene pretty soon. Two of the ones that stood out from uh, the last announcement are, are a pair of Netflix docs, of course. Uh, one on Joan Didion and a, and a Gay Talese film. So both of those look pretty promising, I would say. Well, uh, I've been tracking uh, the Joan Didion doc because Griffin Dunn, who I've known for a long time, her nephew, has been working on this. And he told me a little bit about it. And he's interviewed everybody from the art world and the literary world and people who are friends of hers and people like Harrison Ford, you know, who's a close friend of Joan Didion, you know, because she lived with John Gregory Dunn, her late husband, in uh, Malibu. They lived in California for years and they threw these amazing dinner parties, which I would have died to be part of, you know. And uh, to to have even witnessed them, so um, I'm looking this for whatever reason. I'm really looking forward to to that one now that it's finally uh, done. And the other one is is about Gay Talese, who's a new journalism. I mean, it's sort of weird because Didion and Talese sort of inhabited the same world in a, in a way. Um, yeah. But he's still he's still going strong, and he did a story about um, a voyeur and and the. Uh, and the documentary basically is about how he did that story on this voyeur. So those those are promising and I think will help complicate what's been kind of a tough call in terms of the documentary race up to this point. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. And, you know, we have the Matt Heineman film, City of Ghosts, which is, which I think, very solid. Which to me is solid, the front but... runner up there. But what's going to happen is there's a series of Syria docs and I am, I well, spoke they're, they're, to... Well, one of them is going to fall out at least. Well, there right? are so many uh-huh. that I assume one will survive. But uh, I saw the Afghaneski, uh, Afghani, you know, Af- however you pronounce uh, the, right. the movie, the, Winter on Fire guy, Russian right. doc filmmaker, Cries from Syria, which is HBO. Right. And I saw that last night, and it was really, really strong and tough to watch. And the way he organized it, that's his skill. His skill is to be uh, able to take mountains of information. He's a little bit like the filmmaker uh, who did Amy. He has that same, um, Asif Kapadia, he has that same capacity to somehow process mountains of data and and make it into something accessible and dramatic but what he does well, that's, uh, is take these archive the archive footage of these people dead children dead people being pulled out of 
of mountains of, of rubble, people, pictures of people who've been tortured. It's, it's overwhelmingly disturbing. Well, but that's a sort of, I mean, it, what, what Heinemann's doing with City of the Ghosts, a lot of that, it's not archival in quite the same way, but he didn't go to Syria. He's, he's, he's sort of threading together. Well, they both use the, other people's footage. Yeah, the footage that was shot by these journalists. Uh, this journalistic and collection. By the way, the Nat Geo doc that uh, Sebastian Younger and uh, Nick Cuesta did, that one, um, Hell, Hell on Fire or whatever that thing is called, um, that one is, is also uh, taking um, people's archive footage because you can't go there. You just can't right, go. Right, right. And then, of course, it's also worth knowing there's Last Minute in Aleppo, which was also at Sundance this year. Which I still um, haven't seen. I have. That's my last. To, my to last catch one. up on that yeah. one, but I, but I have heard good things about that one. I do want to see it, and, and it's just notable that with those three, it's, one of them's going to have the upper hand, and the the Heinemann film is the one that has distribution from Amazon. So while HBO does very well in that category as well, Hell on Earth is the name of the younger film. Yeah, so it'll just be interesting to see how how things shake down on on that front. I mean, it's hard to imagine two of them getting into the category, but we well, haven't even talked I about. I spoke the... to an Academy member who actually expressed Syria fatigue to me. So I mean, that's horrible. from the doc branch, which which is yeah. not, I'm not happy to report that, but there that's an element that's going to be already. In play. Yeah, already you're hearing that, and then of course we haven't even talked about uh, a movie that months ago we were saying had real awards potential which is faces places i'm uh, sure that film. one that one first of all it's different from all the others it's you know she's i'm i'm curious to see if they actually make that the france foreign language submission as well yeah i mean that's the thing that's interesting about it is that it is categorically not a documentary in the way that these other documentaries were talking about because it's it's all it's like this kind of essayistic film the way that Varda does these great kind of she plays with nonfiction but it's about her it's about aging it's about JR's and her his collaborator work. right yeah but so it's, it's a, interesting it's a to think of it as a point of comparison you know because it's but also, it's also memoir right Right. And so it's, I mean, but Cohen Media has, has had success in the awards game before. And if they play up the Varda element just right, I mean, Heart of a Dog got an, close to a nomination. And this is, I think, not it's in that quite the realm. Same sort it's of in thing, the art it's, film realm. But the right. thing about Varda, she's also lived in LA. People know her. Um, right. You know, she's. It was so like funny. Her. I was listening to Christina Longworth's podcast about Gene Seberg and, and Jane Fonda, which goes on for many episodes. And it is so much fun. And part of it, she's talking about some of these parties, like the Didion parties, where, you know, the party of the century. <laughs> and, ever, and Varda was there with, you know, Romain Gary and, and right. uh, all these French people in LA hanging out with Jane Fonda and Gene Seberg. I mean, Varda, there was something that surfaced a couple of weeks ago about how Varda. Varda, at one point, uh, you know, there are some photos of her with Harrison Ford because she uh, he auditioned for one of her films in the seventies or sixties or something. And it just, I mean, she's just somebody who's she's done. She's had so many different stages of her career. Point is, and, the Academy uh, members actually know her, right? right? So it's not like she's some obscure French uh, auteur that they've never heard of. So I, I just think she has a, a really good a good shot there. Uh, besides, the, the film is just wonderful. I mean, it would just be awesome to see whatever category it winds up in, or multiple categories, just to see somebody like that. I mean, on, in terms of French New Wave people, a lot of them have been productive well into their 80s. 
but um, very rarely do we see them acknowledged in this kind of context. And not to put too fine a point on it, men tend to be acknowledged more than women. There's a kind well, of invisibility yeah. that goes with Well, being she's a woman. experienced that for much of her and career. The so whole she's talk been of her downplayed, husband. and her husband got more attention than she did, and, and so forth and so on. So I, it, there's a lot of reasons to give this woman her due. So by the time we record next week, we'll be well into fall festival season, as crazy as it sounds, because Venice will have started and we'll be at the start of Telluride and know that lineup. And there's a handful of films that are all of a sudden going to be introduced to the conversation in a different kind of way because we know they're coming. But as people see them, we'll instantaneously get these reactions and sense of, you know, how they're going to play out for the Academy in the next few weeks, how the studio is going to position them and so forth. So I, th I think it would make sense for us to kind of look at some of those possibilities. We don't know the Telluride lineup yet, obviously, but a lot of stuff that shows up there is also doing Venice and Toronto. So, so I think the if we just opening sort of night of Venice is downsizing from Alexander Payne, and it would not be violating all the rules that we have to follow with uh, the Telluride Secrecy Pact, because um, literally I'm going to yeah, get so. on the plane, the shuttle that goes from L.A. to... Uh, Telluride, and there will be a newspaper uh, from the Telluride Watch with all the films in it. That's and that's how we everybody sits on the plane looking at this newspaper, uh, looking at or, what the lineup is. No, or you just get on the charter and you look around to see what filmmakers are on there with you. <laughs> so Alexander Payne is likely to be on that plane yeah. because he, he goes is every year. I mean, we for example, the Ven You know, we know that we know that. Um, Ken Burns, he's like on their board. He, if he has something to show, he will show it. We will probably see some of his Vietnam documentary that's coming up, um, you know, the series. And then we have, you know, 10-part series or some incredible opus that he's done again. And, and you know, if, if Werner Herzog, I don't know what he's going to show, but he will be there. Right. Yeah. So he's got a theater named after him. He for Christ's sake. Does. Yes. So downsizing is going to be in Telluride, guys. Come on. You know. Yeah, it's kind of a given, and and that'll be an interesting one to see because, and well, you you have seen some of this movie at CinemaCon, and it's a passion project for him. He spent so long working on it, and uh, and it's a big movie for him, right? I mean, it's a lot of special effects. It's uh, oh, it so looks it's charming. It looks absolutely. So you've got Matt, Matt Damon. And Kristen Wiig, and they're like a suburban couple. And in the future, well, where resources are scarce, um, the way to uh, become a rich person, even if you are a modest middle class soul, is to shrink yourself in this place that does this for you into a little tiny five inch person, and then you can live large on the other side with a lot it's, of other it's tiny people. It's funny because. It in another filmmaker's hands, and I, and I say this without having seen this movie, that that concept sounds almost too obvious. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, ob you know, of course, the metaphor for downsizing is like embedded in this like really obvious plot device. But it's Alexander Payne. I mean, he writes really great, funny, dry, deadpan kind of movies that are also emotional. That that kind of really tricky balance. So. The idea of him tackling something like this that's more ambitious is, is really compelling. So I, I can't, can't wait, wait for to that. see it. So another one that's uh, sort of on the on the the more stylistically ambitious uh, uh, scale is uh, The Shape of Water, which is Guillermo del Toro's new movie, and that's um, 
you know, from what people are saying, closer to the Pan's Labyrinth feel of sort of a romantic horror film, uh, which he hasn't really returned to in, in quite some time. So that that looks very promising. Um, just, uh, you know, from what we can see out there, it's, it's got Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon. She's playing so. a deaf person, by the way. And apparently it's, he's, he's done underwater stuff before. And Doug Jones is one of his go-to people. So he's sort of an Aquaman of kind of thing. I'm, I cannot wait to see this. I've heard that it's very much in tune with what he did with Pan's Labyrinth. And if that's the case, I'm there. Yeah, and I, like I was saying, I mean, I think that on on some level, what's what's exciting about that is that he's he's never really lost me as a filmmaker. But he makes movies for different kinds of sensibilities. So, you know, when when he did Pacific Rim, for example, that's just not not my kind of movie. I, I could admire some of the skill there, but and the I, visuals but, were always and the visual. Yeah, I mean, I, I know his character I know creation, his creature creation is always astonishing. I can't wait to see this. Right, and and then there's a guy who also can find that way into both the fandom side of things and the prestige crowd. So this is a Fox Searchlight movie. We talked a little bit about how you know patty cakes didn't really work out the way they they would have hoped. So this would be a nice bounce back, I would say, going into the fall for them. To I have think it could be a really place. big a big one for them. And then A twenty four has Lady Bird, which. I'm excited about this because I think that Greta Gerwig has already proven that she's uh, an astonishingly uh, gifted writer and actress. This we know. This is her feature film debut, and yeah, we've very been autobiographical about, about her upbringing yeah. in Sacramento, and she stars Saoirse Ronan as herself. So Saoirse I just Ronan, yeah. I hear very good things about this. Yeah, I mean it's notable that both her and her personal and creative partner, you know, Baumbach have, have fall season movies with Baumbach's Meyerowitz Chronicles. Uh, both stories. Go, uh, stories. Meyerowitz Stories, New and Collected, or whatever they're, they're calling it. New and Selected. Which is, uh, a, is, is, is brings up the whole Netflix question. Yeah, uh, yeah. Know, because you so have these movies. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I think I think that, you know, he went to Cannes, and and the movie was was well-received. It's, it's sort of a Woody Allen-ish comedy, and I enjoyed it. But I could see that, you know, if it were being handled by someone else other than Netflix, it would have a really good shot at maybe getting a Dustin Hoffman Supporting Actor nomination. Well, Adam Sandler, too. People really like that. They're pushing Adam Sandler. That's who they're pushing. I, I, they I will say... Lots of people working on it, like Cynthia Swartz, who's not to be denied. But they're, I still don't see how they take something that is if you like, buried on the Netflix site and push it into a must-see with the Academy demo. I don't see how right. they do that. Right. Well, I think you got to look at the trailer. It's very well done. I was impressed. And I think on some level, the movie in a lot of people's hands would be a hard sell. And with Netflix, maybe a lot more people would watch it than they otherwise would. So from the awards season standpoint, maybe that's just less relevant to them at this point. I mean, if they're if they're going to make something work in award season, it's going to be Mudbound. That's what everything's riding on, less Well, Meyer the reason Owens. that Mudbound has a better chance is also the fact that it's got scale and scope and incredible period and incredible actors and incredible editing and cinematography and directing and writing and all of those things. But it's also new. It's brand new. So they will launch that at the festivals. They'll be able to show it at all the festivals. It's it was seen in Sundance, but it will be opening. It will be the released. second wave. Yeah. Similar to Call Me by Your Name in that sense. So 
Um, but the other the other movie that that has that kind of scale going for it is uh, Joe Wright's film, which is Darkest Hour. And uh, from what I've been hearing, the real buzz there is that Gary Oldman gives this really strong performance as Winston Churchill, and it's one of those it's his time kind of things where you know, irrespective of whether or not people love this movie or if it's just you know solid, he could get a lot of uh, momentum very quickly. The buzz on it is extremely good. I'm I, I've been a Joe Wright fan for forever. You know, I love Atonement. I love Pride and I'm Prejudice. A fan. Nobody I, ever talks about I, Hannah. I love Hannah. I think Hannah's awesome. And Great action movie. I even liked Anna Karenina. So, so we're you know I'm there. Uh, if if he's if uh, whether this connects with audiences or whether it works for the Academy, we will find out. Hopefully, yeah. as early well, as Telluride. I mean, you could I could see that campaign just by looking at the poster. It looks like know. a slop blob down the middle to me. Actually, exactly. I was wondering when that phrase you were going to drop that phrase this season. <laughs> like it started with loving the you know, one this. that does is mother. Aronofsky <laughs> is apparently going all the way. That's uh, a hard lob down the middle. This one yeah, is on the side. The outfield. This is way out there. <laughs> so I can't stuff. wait to see it, though. I um, mean, you look at that trailer, That right? one's a Venice trailer. to Toronto play, by the way. I don't think that one goes to Telluride. You know, the weird thing about that trailer is that I, I was avoiding the trailer, and then I went to see a movie, and the trailer came on beforehand. And I went, it seems like it kind of tells you what the movie is, but one assumes that Aronofsky, who is also a producer, would not allow that much information to get out. And so I, the assumption is that there's something here we don't know yet that's right, about that's right. the craziness on display. But and that why also, they opened it earlier and, and pushed yeah. up the release date and, and basically um, signaled, I mean, to my, I mean, the, the, the Paramount people are all over it and they're pushing Darren Aronofsky and they're pushing, uh, we'll see if, if Jennifer Lawrence is in the running as she often is, but, but if it, I mean, they're talking this, the talk, but it just feels like this is too violent and genre based to be, but you know, the wrestler and, um, Black Swan were very violent and dark. Well, Black Swan definitely has a, a very blatant horror dimension to right, it, right. but it, but it laced it with in an this art high film, art, art yeah. world, yeah, exactly. dance world. So that's what, and it, and it had a very strong it was elevated for that reason. performance. So you know, Lawrence obviously seems to get nominated for Oscars a lot. So uh, I mean, we there's a possibility see. there. So, and then the one, one other we didn't talk about that I think is worth noting. Just I mean, we'll see. But Suburbicon is going to Venice, and um, I mean, George Clooney is an interesting guy. You know, he is a filmmaker. He has made some out there movies, some not great movies, and some astonishingly great movies. And this one is written by the Cohen brothers, along with Clooney and his usual partner Grant Heslov. It's got Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, Oscar Isaac. Uh, there's a lot going on as in terms of potential here. It I looks like a comedy, and it looks like a kind of dark double indemnity kind of thing mm -hmm. where the the couple are are you know there's some bad behavior, murder going on you know postman always rings twice james kane or something like that right but but it's it's really um it looks like that kind of dark comedy tone it reminds me of a soderbergh tone to me i'm, I'm just curious to see how that works out it's hard to pull that off as a director I would well say. One, one always assumes with these guys soderbergh's probably got his hands in it somehow right i mean they're all pals and 
and share cuts and, and all that kind of thing. So well, the Cohens and the Soder and Soderberg both do that including, kind of yeah. dumb people uh, doing dumb things. And Matt Damon, no one plays dumb better than Matt Damon. Well, Clooney's done it pretty well a few times too. Indeed, he knows how to do it too. <laughs> yeah, so that so that'll be an interesting one to see. Um, but you know, the, I mean, the at the end of the day, something else that we're not talking about could creep into the conversation, and could be something that's somewhat under the radar. Seems like a smaller film. I mean, this time last year, I was certainly excited to see Moonlight. I wouldn't have been able to tell you that it's a be- it would be a best picture contender in such a prominent way, or that it would win. But uh, th- there are possibilities like that lurking in these lineups, and so that's what kind of makes this moment particularly exciting. Is that as much as we think we know a lot going into this, something will, may still surprise us. That's what we hope for. So all this time, and we didn't even talk about James Cameron and his uh, bizarre Wonder Woman comments. Do you know, we still... I've known Cameron a long time, and, and the only thing that, that upsets me about this is that uh, he and Ridley Scott, I mean, if you're going to talk about Hollywood movie directors who have actually done well by introducing strong women into their movies... It's Ridley Scott and James Cameron. And he, on some weird level, I have to assume that egomaniac that he is, he was just making his own <laughs> claim, uh, you know, for, for, for Linda Hamilton well, that, no, and, I mean, what, or, or whoever. In Terminator, yeah. And, with, with, and he's got this anniversary for T2, and that's why he's doing press. I actually think what you're saying about him is what he was trying to say. He just said it in a really stupid kind of way that made him sound like an egomaniac, and I'm sure I he is. I also don't. He is. Of course he is. He, all, the, all these directors are. Patty Jenkins is an <laughs> egomaniac, too, or she wouldn't be the director of Wonder Woman. You don't get there without owning something that you can, you know, express to the world. I have no issues with that. But, you know, it's a question of how you talk about it sometimes. Or don't talk about it. And, you know, just and, say it's a good yeah. thing that movie did well. But and, the and thing is, on. Wonder Woman is not... I, I, one of the things I loved about that movie, and one of the reasons I think Jenkins really deserves a lot of credit, is because she was a woman, she was able to be smart about how she presented Wonder Woman. The costume, how that costume fits her, how much of it covers her breasts, how she looks, how athletic she is, how warrior-like, how sweet and lovely. And also that great sequence where she's putting on all those outfits and ends up with the manly, sporty outfit that she can fight in. These are very savvy choices that she made yeah, to you not know what? objectify I would, Wonder Woman. And I, I, I think would that's say so smart of her. The, the, the problem with Wonder Woman isn't that it's a superhero movie, it's just that it kind of becomes a boring superhero movie in the third act. Of course so we all agree that if that I, last thing was No, so that's so what I was going to say, though. But they if, had to do it, or they wouldn't have been well, able to release the movie. Well, I don't know. That, that's just a... That now they know that they can take some liberties. Now they... Uh, yeah, they I would hope. I mean, I, but if I was in Cameron's position and someone asked about that, maybe the smart thing is to say something like that, say... You know, it's great that it's doing so well. Maybe we should be seeing more movies like this that aren't just superhero movies or something. I just say something that has like real meaning instead of something that's self-empowered. But the, but, part, the part that's gross is that people have looked up some old Playboy interview where he he talked about how um, he he he's basically designing the lead female character, Natiri, whatever her name is, 
um, in such a way that that she she's sexy with with breasts and and he calls them tits, and I was like, oh, you know, because she's a great character too, you know, she's a good strong woman character. I have no problems with it. If he hadn't, you know, designed her to be alluring, it, w it wouldn't have worked. You know, I go, I totally understand what he's talking about, but he's talking yeah, to Playboy and he's it's talking awful. to somebody and he's using that language and it's gross. It is totally nasty, and, and he should be in um, sexism jail for a little bit. And, you know, maybe by the time he finishes these sequels he's spending forever working on, he can sort of rebuild. But in the meantime, I'm looking forward to not talking about any of this kind of stuff for a while because by the time we record next week, we will be adjusting to the elevation of Telluride, and uh, we'll have tons of stuff to dig into then. So safe travels out there, and I hope you're getting some rest because it's going to be intense. You got it. Bye, Eric. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.